Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. We're continuing our series, What Jesus Had in Mind When It Comes to the Church. So I've been up here previously on two occasions. The first one I spoke about grace being a grace-filled church and what grace is. And the, let me just pop this down for a second. Uh, What grace is, and that grace is a free gift uh, which cannot be earned and it cannot be repaid. Uh, And then I was asked to speak about, uh, I guess, what compels a a church. Um, And I spoke about the death of Jesus and that being, uh, you know, the, the, the motivation, I guess, which compelled Paul in his ministry and that being the, the kind of foundation and, and the, the central message of the church. So uh, the topic Mark has given me uh, for this morning uh, is on serving in the church. Um, and I want to talk about a rather unique topic, I guess. Some of you may know a lot about uh, the idea of spiritual gifts. Others it may be new to you. So um, I think in terms of a, a, you know, a church being all that God has has created it to be, and a church that Jesus had in mind is a church in which the spiritual gifts are used. But I want to begin with uh, an illustration by Charles Swindoll. Uh, I think this illustration appeals to me uh, as a teacher, but I want to use it uh, because it has an obvious, I guess, application, but I want to use it as the beginning of this morning's message. He writes, he tells a story. He says, Once upon a time, the animals decided that they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world. And so they organised a school. They adopted an activity curriculum of running, climbing, swimming and flying. To make it easier to administer the curriculum, all the animals took all the subjects. The duck was, an excellent, was excellent in swimming, in fact, better than his instructor but he only made passing grades in flying and was very poor in running. Since he was slow in running, he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused his webbed feet to be badly worn so that he was only average in swimming. But average was quite acceptable, so nobody worried about that except the duck. The rabbit started at top of the class in running but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because of the so much makeup work in swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he encountered constant frustration in flying class because the teacher made him start from the ground up instead of from the treetop down. He developed Charlie horses from overexertion and so only got a C in climbing and a D in running. The eagle was a problem child and was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing class, he beat all the others to the top of the tree, but insisted on using his own way to get there. This morning's message, really, as I said, is about spiritual gifts. And when it comes to serving in the local church, finding and using one's spiritual gift or gifts is paramount in becoming the church that Jesus had in mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul actually writes, Now about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. Essentially saying this topic is too important for believers to be uninformed about. 
Influential uh, theologian and pastor John uh, MacArthur writes, no lo local congregation will be what it should be until it understands spiritual gifts. So I thought, where do I start? What is a spiritual gift? In the New Testament, there's actually three different words used to designate spiritual gifts. One of the words used is charisma in singular and charismata in plural. In its most technical sense, it basically means gifts of holy grace, an undeserved benefit from God. And that particular word is used in Romans 1, Timothy chapter 4. In the book of Ephesians verse 4, different Greek words are used to designate gifts. Uh, and referring to these particular, this particular use of, of the word gifts, basically you get the impression of a gift being something that equips believers and enables believers for personal service in the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a different word is used for spiritual gifts. And in that particular context, it's used to describe the gifts as things belonging to the spirit. So if we get those three different words together and kind of summarise what they mean or what they teach us about, about spiritual gifts, and essentially we can define spiritual gifts as this. Spiritual gifts are divine abilities distributed by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design and God's grace for the common good of the body of Christ. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 26, contains the most extensive teaching on the spiritual gifts found in the Bible. And I want to focus on this passage this morning. Now, I thought when I bring up this idea of spiritual gifts, lots of people have lots of questions. For example, how do I discover my spiritual gift? How do I find out what gifts God has given me? Another question some people ask quite a lot is, I thought the spiritual gifts actually ceased. Are they still around? Do they still operate in the church? Another question could be, uh, what type of gifts are there? So you have all these questions when you talk about the topic of spiritual gifts. And I'd love to continue teaching on those questions or responding to those questions at another time. But this morning, I just want to take three, I guess, fundamental principles about spiritual gifts and share them with you. And the first is this. There is unity and diversity in the church. Paul writes, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, early Greek and Roman thinkers actually uh, uh, compared the state and also the universe to a body and spoke of it as being kind of independent members making up the universe, but all working together. So it's no surprise that Paul actually uses this, this metaphor. And basically what he says is just as it takes many members to make up one human body, the church is also very diverse, but it exists as a unit. 
It's an error to think that uniformity is synonymous with a healthy church. There should actually be diversity, but also unity. Paul says, for we are all baptised by the one spirit so as to form the one body. He says, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. And this verse here kind of echoes Paul's teaching. You might have picked up on that from the book of Galatians. Concerning access by faith into salvation. What Paul says is in Christ there is no distinction. As an extension, he says there are no barriers preventing a believer from playing a role in the ministry of the church. Whether it be cultural background, education, gender, whatever, there are no distinctions, there are no barriers. Everybody has a part to play. One of the, I guess, uh, I call it a kick in the guts when I was a pastor, metaphorically speaking, of course. Nobody kicked me in the gut. There may have been some people who wanted to, but metaphorically, a kick in the guts as a pastor. I was a pastor on the south side of Brisbane with this little church uh, called uh, in Brown's Plains. And, you know, I was being there for a couple of years and things were going really well. I felt that people were growing relationally, uh, they were growing personally as a family, uh, numerically, we were growing as a church. And I was so, you know, pumped as a pastor to see this. Uh, and uh, one morning, a couple in the church who had been there for a number of years before I had arrived came up to me um, and said to me, and this is a kick in the guts, they said, we won't be coming back to this church. We're actually leaving this church. And I said, Why? so many good things happening and they said to me because we don't like the kind of people who are coming to our church now and I didn't see them again and as a pastor that was a kick in the guts because I knew in my life as a pastor I was giving so much and lots of other people in the church were giving so much and the church I thought was you know what was experiencing God's grace and yet this couple came up and said, we don't like the type of people coming into our church. Browns Plains is a culturally diverse community. And actually, in contrast to what that couple had said, one of its strengths was it was a church with diversity. Lots of people from different cultural, ethnic backgrounds, educational backgrounds. We even had many with diverse evangelical views on certain topics. There were lots of different occupations, but they all, I thought, contributed to a richness, a depth to the church that you really can't find anywhere else in the community. There was a sense that we all belonged to God and we're all in service for him. But yet there was so much diversity, diversity in unity. And I think that is a beautiful thing. The second thing that I'd like to talk about concerning spiritual gifts is about having the right perspective, having the right perspective. Again, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 to 21, Paul writes, even so the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of, of a, a smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So we kind of, when you read these verses, you get the impression that there was a bit of, I guess, this uh, superiority kind of attitude in the Corinthian churches. You know, the eye saying to the, hand, uh, to the hand or the head to the feet. So the direction of what's being said implies an attitude of authority from above. One of the disputes we know at Corinth was these gifts uh, with less, I, I guess, the less obvious gifts were being belittled by certain members of the congregation who favoured the more spectacular type of gifts. And Paul continues this metaphor of the body to correct these false perspectives. The foot may well be depressed, he says, in its inability to exercise the complicated functions of a mind and may see its own functions as a lowly one, always in the dust or bearing the weight of the body, but that doesn't make it outside of the body. With the human body, you cannot deny the importance of each part. I guess here are a couple of verses for those who think and feel that they have nothing to offer the church. The gift of helps may have a small effect when compared to the gift of teaching or prophecy, but what Paul is saying, it's absolutely essential for the health of the church. Every gift is needed, no matter how insignificant it may seem to us. See, one of the be benefits, I guess, of spiritual gifts is the interdependence they generate within a body of believers. First believers, we depend on God who grants us the gifts. We depend on the Holy Spirit to empower us to use them. But then we depend on each other to work together as well, using the gift of grace that God has given you for the benefit of others. And when I thought about this, I thought, this is so countercultural what Paul is teaching. I mean, it's interesting when you look out into our, 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 our present culture. There are so many established programs for gifted people. You have your gifted athletes, you have your gifted academics, and the implication is the rest of us citizens are just ordinary and aren't gifted. But not so in the body of Christ. God gifts all of us. Every believer can be assured that God knows them, loves them, and considers them special enough to give them unique gifts to serve him and serve others. The third thing I'd like to say about spiritual gifts is this. Remember that they are gifts of grace given according to God's divine plan. But God has put the body together, writes Paul. The Christians at Corinth needed to be reminded that the gifts are given according to God's grace. So there's no room for pride. That's the real issue that Paul is getting at. This point mentions, uh, is mentioned numerous times throughout the New Testament when it comes to spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, it says, God has dealt to everyone a measure of faith. 
For I say, he says, through the grace given to me to everyone is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly, because God has dished out what gifts he wants. For as we are many members in the one body, but all the members do not have the same function. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And 1 Corinthians 12.18, But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Every individual member has a vital role assigned by God himself just as he wanted them. It's also translated that last phrase there in a couple of of different versions, just as he pleased or he took delight in actually putting gifts, giving gifts to to people according to his plan. So you're not actually here by accident as part of this church. It's not because there was lots of churches around and you just randomly chose one church or because you come here because your friends are here or someone uh, you know, that you, you, you enjoy being. That's, that, you know, that's really important and that's fantastic. But you're actually here because God has placed you here. He's placed us here to use the gifts to serve him in this community and to serve each other. That's why we should never boast in what we do nor think too little concerning our contribution to the ministry of the church. Spiritual gifts should not be used as some kind of status symbol, nor are we to exalt one gift above the others, which the Corinthians were doing with regards to the gift of tongues. It's a matter of divine arrangement and design. I used to love when I was a kid getting hold of my daughter's Mr Potato Head And because she liked to have all the parts in exactly the right place, when she wasn't around, I would grab Mr Potato Head and then mix all the parts up and just leave it in her room. And she'd walk past and look at Mr Potato Head and of course she couldn't walk any further. She got frustrated and had to put it all back together. I think sometimes a church can look like a Mr Potato Head when different parts are all in the wrong place. Yet, according to what Paul is saying, there is actually a divine plan that makes it look perfect, not like Mr. Potato Head, but you know what I mean. There's also, I think, in this verse, a divine imposed limitation given in verse 18 in a positive sense. Unfortunately, I've been in some churches where some people think they're omni-gifted. There's a difference between actually being active in God's church and being effective in God's church. And some people think they are gifted in every way and try to do everything. But it's actually vital that we serve in areas that we are gifted for. Don't neglect the gifts that you've been given, says Paul, but don't take opportunities away from other people as well. Norman Scheiden says, A group becomes a team when each member is sure enough of him or herself and their contribution to praise the skills of others. And that's really important. Now, I'm just going to go off on a bit of a tangent here because I'm wondering if people have a verse running through their mind as I've been speaking this morning. And that's verse 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul writes, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. I was reading through Corinthians 12, and then I came across this verse. And verse 1231 
Paul makes what seems to me to be quite a confusing command. I mean, he has encouraged the Corinthians up until this point to eagerly desire, uh, no, to, to see, sorry, the significance and importance of every single gift. And all of a sudden he writes, or he encourages them to desire these higher gifts. And I thought, this is really confusing to me. Since Paul has laboured over the last verses to explain why there is honour and value in all the gifts, so why would he actually say this, desire high gifts, desire certain spiritual gifts? This is actually my view now of this verse, and you are free to disagree with it. The verb translated desired in that verse can also, also actually be translated, you are desiring. In other words, it could actually be translated as, you are desiring the higher or more obvious gifts. But I'm going to tell you of another way. And he goes on to talk about uh, love and the place of love in the church. Although the phrase has generally been interpreted by desire the higher gifts, I think it's possible that Paul is stating that the Corinthians were improbably, sort of, uh, improbably desiring the gifts that would bring attention to themselves. So he's just told them that all the gifts are significant and important and have a part in the church. And here you are desiring the more obvious gifts. But I'm actually going to tell you something that's far more important than gifts, and that is the role of love in the church, which I won't go into. That's another message. First Corinthians 13, you know it. If you are a new Christian here this morning, I hope you're excited about all this gift stuff, even though you may have only heard about it recently. But for all the believers who are here this morning, it's important to make sure we discover what our gift is or gifts are and use them to serve God and the body of the church. I think when I was kind of thinking about a conclusion for this, I thought the church kind of reminds me of a jigsaw puzzle. When one piece is missing, when one gift is missing, or a person's, uh, I guess, service to God is missing, the absence is very obvious. Each piece is needed to complete the full picture in terms of what God or what Jesus had in mind for the church. When each piece is in place, no piece is more prominent. All the pieces blend to form the whole picture. By using our gifts, we share as stewards the various graces which we have received. And when we all work together using those gifts, God blends it all together to produce a wonderful picture of himself for others to look upon. So let's not quench the Holy Spirit's work by allowing the gifts of God's grace to be dormant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. We understand that the church was bought at great price to our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for his church. We pray, Lord, we would encourage each other, we would equip each other for the task of ministry and service to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in this church and help folk to discover what gifts you have given them and to use them in order to glorify your name and lift up the name of Jesus. Amen.